Welcome to the Agile Connex Centre podcast. My name is Arnold, and together with my co-host Sean, and sometimes with the help of special guests, we discuss stories, tips and practices that will help you deliver outstanding experiences to customers as well as your people. We do this because our mission is to reinvent the contact centre world for the better. Our guest today is not only a good friend of ours, but he heads up the contact centre at Open Universities Australia. We discuss his experiences with Agile, leadership, and how he is using this thinking to help him create an engaged workforce producing amazing results. We hope you enjoyed the show. Let's jump into it, hey? Yeah, sure. All right. So, so Nan, welcome to the show. Thank you. Why don't you, you. introduce yourself uh, to all our listeners? I mean, we know about you, but yeah, why don't you? Floor's, floor's all yours. Yeah. So it's a quick introduction. Morning, uh, folks. Uh, quick introduction is um, I've had the privilege of working across different industries and different roles. And... Um, starting in banking, then working in uh, corporate banking, working across uh, asset finance, then moving into uh, technology and banking. And a lot of this was with the NZ uh, in India. And uh, then landed up uh, working in human resources in ANZ, and then finally landed up, uh, you know, in, in, in some ways at Open Universities. Um, in a space where I really have had never run a contact center before. But a lot of the roles that I've had and privileged to have is around leading people, working with projects and different things. And and uh, what started as a small two-month contract uh, had completed a year contract. And then I had the privilege of heading up the contact center and the sales function for the last nearly five years. It's been an amazing kind of journey. And, and the thing that I'll say that kind of stands out for me is that um, um, you, you get people and partners and context and things that happen in your life sometimes for whatever reason you believe. And, and as you are able to learn and be curious and be willing to adapt, uh, amazing things happen. So um, with no kind of disrespect to anybody or anything, in my first kind of nearly year to two years, every day it's walking out in the evening and thinking, oh, you failed and it's it's not working. And um, it's, we, we a big of, bit of context about OUA and the journey is that OUA had been through five years of declining new student growth, which was 20 quarters. And uh, it was quite painful, and, and the, the, the organization then made some very, very brave and courageous decisions to sharpen our focus and come back to the core higher education business, which was the core of OUA's value proposition. Um, but thinking of then being the head of sales and the contact center being a key part of the conversation, nearly 50% of our revenues come from the contact center, 50% come roughly from the web. Um, but it just felt very hard to think about what is it is that is going to help change in the way people, staff would want to be engaged to do something better for students in a different way. And uh, it was just painful to experience, be part of and watch. Mm. Um, and um, we did probably everything that typical contact centers do 
which is we hired people in the best way we could. Uh, we put them through some KPIs. We had some operational metrics. Um, but it, it really didn't create the results we could. We were highly underperforming from, let's just put a sales perspective. Uh, the service was quite okay. Mm -hmm. But from a sales perspective, we were underperforming. And uh, so, so that's the context. Now, just roll forward a little bit. We have just concluded um, our 10th successive quarter of positive growth. Congratulations. Uh, it's awesome. awesome. And um, one of the key KPIs that's not kind of a metric anywhere that you can measure in a way, but you can actually do, which is watching the smiles on people's faces. And are people just enjoying work more? It's not perfect. Not there yet. I don't think we'll ever get to perfect. But are they enjoying work more? Um, absolutely. Uh, am I feeling like as I walk out of the door, sort of feeling like a loser? Uh, not really. <laughs> so there's a much more sense of pride, and I'll share some other stories of what it is. Mm -hmm. But we've shifted now from trying to be basically not losing and to try and think about how we start winning mm -hmm. and create consistent results in a great way that make people want to be engaged with the process. And that's where, as we talk through this podcast, mm -hmm. a little bit of our kind of the way of working piece has been critical to how we've mm -hmm. achieved that. Great. So when when you started to think about needing some outside help, what was what was specifically where you was going on for you guys when you said, right, we, we need to we need to talk to the Agile Contact Center guys and you know Eduardo and yeah. Anani came in. What was yeah. what were some of the key pain points that or, or even aspirational goals that you had? Yeah, the the simple. Um, I think burning platform for change was what we were doing for years and years and trying to do was just not working. So mm. um, we had uh, a new exec, who was my boss, Andy, come on board, came with fresh thinking. He had some experience in the past and, uh, you know, brought in He's an engineer by background, concepts of Lean, Six Sigma, and Agile, and all these things, and and had a I think had a chance of working with Eduardo previously at REA as well. Mm -hmm. So when he came on board, and we were trying to start to the first basic principle was we started a daily kind of stand up in a very critical time, and uh, it wasn't well structured. Um, I recall Andy standing behind and just watching and giving me the space to make an absolute fool of myself. And it was really painful because we were not really clear about what we needed to do. But the good part is we started having a conversation. In about six months time, serendipity, um, uh, James from Smart Recruitment had an event with uh, Agile 11 and Eduardo was presenting somewhere. We saw this and uh, James Pulling, who's our internal Agile coach, actually sent this invite to us and five of us went there and we heard Eduardo speak about you know the way Agile 11 and now Agile Contact Center the way you work sat there listening and said wow this is fantastic but impossible 
Sounds really good because everything, literally, that were the things that we were trying to do that we thought would be successful, were those principles were being challenged. So, the way you recruit doesn't work. Stop doing that. The way you train doesn't work. Stop doing that. The way you roster doesn't work. Stop doing that. The way you sort of look at projects and improvement doesn't work. Stop doing that. And and you know, so it was really confronting and challenging, but it planted a seed. Mm. Um, and again, at that time, I think um, we couldn't see it. I couldn't see it. But just that was a point of just planting a seed. Six months later, um, one day I called Eduardo and said, let's have a coffee. And uh, the way it rolled out is within four weeks, we had actually signed up and started working. So we were kind of ready in our journey to start thinking about what we do most specifically in the contact center and uh, start trying to implement those four or five things that were so radically different. So we we started. So um, I think as we progressed with our understanding that we had to change, um, we started seeing some success. And that was the first quarter of 10 quarters ago, uh, 2017, quarter three, um, when it felt like you were seeing some success. and mm. But I think that's the time to really think that you got to raise the notch and the momentum to higher levels. And even at that time, while it was very painful, I, I thought that it'll be over quickly. Uh, two and a half years in, you reach the point where you realize that it's kind of never over. And this continuous improvement kind of loop, um, if you kind of build a culture that embraces them, then it becomes real fun. And um, the pace at which you can drive change and the way you can drive it is much more effective. And actually, people come on board much more willing than you could have ever pre-designed with the old kind of change models. Mm. For, for those uh, who, who are probably new to the Agile Contact Center, so Eduardo uh, was the original founder of the Agile Contact Center. Um, well, not that he's not around, he's still around and uh, does <laughs> he's, he's the, the work, but he, he, does, he also founded the company, the Agile 11 as well, um, which is the, uh, I guess, the uh, associated uh, company to the Agile Contact Center who look after, um, look at uh, organizations holistically, but also HR teams as such. Probably the other thing, um, and I think it'd be worth for the audience to listen to, but um, your contact center that you lead and on, why don't you talk a little bit about, you know, the size, you know, how, what the functions within it, mm -hmm. just so, so people get a bit of understanding of, yeah. you know, how that could maybe fit for them or maybe sure. not as well. Sure. Thank you. Um, and uh, I must add that Ani, you've been a key part of our journey as well. Uh, and so thank you for that. But I'll just jump into the to answer the question. We have roughly an 80-seat contact center. Um, and um, we have traditionally had that um, separated by channel. So we do three channels, inbound, outbound, and uh, messaging. Live chat now known as messaging because it's much broader. Um, and 
we have traditionally run them thinking that we'll get efficiency per channel. Um, uh, we've since moved away from that model and created blended teams. But previously, we would have had four outbound teams, two inbound teams, two live chat teams. And uh, our, as has happened in, uh, in the industry, as, as customers have, have talked about, uh, have looked at how they want to engage with us differently, five years ago, um, most of our new student acquisition uh, happened through inbound and through inbound calls. Quite good, quite easy. We had a great capability, people fulfilling those calls very well. Start getting competitive in the industry. The industry, the education industry has pretty much, is pretty flat in its growth. So the only way you can grow is you've got to try and grab a higher market share by doing something better. Um, and that's for the undergraduate market. The postgraduate market is growing a little bit, but OUA doesn't have a significant presence in that. We'd like to have a better presence, and hopefully we'll develop that. But the bulk of the business with the undergrad piece is pretty stable. So as, as customers started calling us less, uh, as we, we could pump in more marketing dollars, but, but customers don't want to, students don't want to call us anymore. They want to be... You know, we heard the word digital natives, self-serve, and mm. so on and so forth. Mm. So we've had to work harder in the contact center, and we shifted the focus now to outbound. And so we really then built a solid outbound capability with kind of an intensity. Now, we don't do any cold calling. All our leads are based on some student activity. We don't buy lists of anybody. Um, uh, but even in that, we had to develop the way to have the relevant outbound intensity because we're talking about a high-cost product with a big investment, not just in terms of cost. You know, sometimes the degree is $40,000, $60,000. Um, but it's also the commitment of time and the purpose of OUA, which is to help people transform their lives through education, their families, and their communities. So the kind of impact and the decision is really, really a big one. So how do you have an outbound conversation that's respectful in that way, you know, and not be, you know, a hard sell is, is really the piece that we have been developing and trying to develop even more. And that's an ongoing journey. And then I'll come to messaging. We have a really good messaging capability. Um, uh, we use uh, live person, live engage, and it's an industry leading product. Uh, but it if you look at all the metrics of customer service and so on and so forth through the messaging platform, we're kind of in their top quartile. Uh, one of my colleagues, Lyndon, has been just been adopted to their global customer board. Um, just been back from Atlanta. So we really have an innovative messaging capability. Now we kind of message through uh, the web messaging, which is called live chat. We message through um, uh, WhatsApp through Messenger. We're about to launch Apple Business Chat messaging and, and really shifting the, the conversation about more a, a continuing conversation mm. and uh, about what, what is being called conversational commerce. So that's kind of our channels. Mm. However, what we, we, we went on a pilot program two quarters ago and we started the first blended team. And we 
picked some of our people and put them together as a team and said, we just threw them in and said, try and work out a way to work better. But we don't know how. We don't know what it would take. But we're just going to put you together, give you a good team leader, and you go and experiment. And so, but you've got to learn how to work as a team rather than an individual. Uh, so in terms of the, the piece, we, we got a lot of good results in the last few years. But the way we got that was trying to build a better sales capability where individual performers do really well. Mm. And uh, it's, it's great because we have some outstanding people and some of them achieved 200% or 250% of the target we set for them. Mm. It was great. Mm. And in a model that we had with uh, compensation, you got a really big bonus if you did that. Mm. And that was great. But 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 about three years ago, um, the number of people who were actually hitting the targets we set was probably forty percent, and some really overachieving, and so not everybody is doing well, and and so you have then some real super performers and some, you know, underperformers, some in the middle, and uh, but you also get as a result some behaviors that are very individually driven. Mm. And OUA, we rebranded and reframed and redefined our three values. And our three values are around act for customer, do the best that is for student and create the best outcome and the customer experience. The second one is care for each other, which is that we want to build a place where people can work together and build on successes, learn from each other, challenge each other, but not put each other down, not step on each other. And the third value was we continuously improve, you know, which mm-hmm. is in the frame of this. Now, with the individual kind of targets and the kind of intensity we developed and the results we were getting, um, even with our top performers, it came at a cost where people were trying to win at kind of all costs. And often that came at the cost of other people around them and leaving, you know, a, a lot of damage around and... Uh, we had a lot of pain in that process because we went through a major overhaul of our old whole systems. And as a result, when we did that, we did this in short time. We had a great successful outcome in the project. But it meant that certain elements didn't get done so well. And one of them was how we do the sales attribution model. Mm. And what that did was that created opportunities for people to game the system more than probably we should have enabled Mm. and that was just a reality of where we were Mm. and obviously people with the kind of individual kpis they're not bad people they're the system which creates these Mm. outcomes Mm. um leverage those yeah and so a year ago we had to literally create an amnesty scheme have people put things on the table and if not after that we actually had to fire people top performers hugely painful um, for then doing the wrong thing Mm. and uh, I'll come back to a story when Agile 11 came and started working with us and started seeing these kind of tensions as an outsider one of the first advice I got was get rid of the individual KPIs and create a team KPI and I could get it intellectually in my head I couldn't see the logical path to 
get there in a way. But that was the first observation that uh, the Agile 11 team told me, and it was spot on, but kind of we couldn't get there as yet. We've done that now with the blended teams. Yeah. So just just that that was an amazing step through of of the, that part of the journey. I, I just wanted to stop and just touch a couple of things. One is the importance of purpose in the journey that you've been on. From, from my perspective, as someone who wasn't there from the start but has heard the story and, and been and visited and, and seen how how the teams are now working, the the how important having a purpose is that people can connect to. That's simple. So you so you've got your purpose. Um, which you know, um, which I think is is brilliant. It's one of the best best that I've, That's I've heard. It was transforming lives. Yeah. Through, yeah. Or it's, so I'll say it in a actually in the more accurate kind of way. We believe that access to quality education has the ability to transform lives of people, their families, and the community. Amazing, brilliant. Yeah. So so that is a there's such a good purpose because I, I feel like no matter where you are in the organization, you can connect to that through oh, the yes. work that you do. And that and that is the test of a great purpose. Anyone that walks in can say, I know how my role helps to fulfill that. And I think that's really great in the context of what you've done with some of your the the way you measure success now. Sure. And the story you just told then around the individual KPIs, how how it's may seem like a great idea to incentivize and reward people individually, particularly in a sales environment, because everyone will strive to be their best. But unwittingly, and without it being done explicitly, people will find ways to maximize their own benefit at the cost of others in their team, or or actually in the worst case, in the, at the cost of the organization. And the customer. Which the is the cu- customer, one, yeah. correct, yeah. yeah. So, and, and I know that that's, that's one of the things that you were seeing that's kind of that led you to go, to say, well, we know we're not getting good student outcomes here. People are dropping off. They're not getting the courses they want. There's no, they're not sticking with it. And why is that? And and you were finding that, you know, it was because people were, were acting in their own interest in terms of getting these students on board. So I just wanted to highlight that because for, for people listening, you can do, you can change KPIs, you can you can set up agile ways of working. There's a number of things you can do, but I, I personally believe that you need to start with that purpose, have a really clear purpose, because in empowering people then to act in the right way, um, you you can actually reduce the number of rules and 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 guidelines and and you know boundaries that you put in people's way every day if they if they know that when they've got to make a decision it just has to align to that purpose mm. so yeah so i just wanted to i want to touch on that because i just yeah i want to talk about that because I, I felt that was a, it's a brilliant purpose um so all right so so back to you so you did actually there was something else you, you mentioned uh it was one of the very first recommendations that eduardo made when he came in you got to get rid of these shared that sorry <laughs> these individual kpis for shared kpis and you knew it intellectually but it's taken a while for you to go on that journey can you talk about a little bit about your personal journey in your the mindset that that the changes that you've been through <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. you're already seeing some maybe yeah. some muscle memory here you're experiencing yes. some pain already um yes Talks about that journey. What? Why? Why was it hard? Why did you get it intellectually? But, but then it's you know now now it's taken a while for you to go. Yep, cool. I'm I'm comfortable to, to be that. Yeah. Now be that person. There are two aspects, uh, Sean. The first one is I think 
Uh, I grew up in a, I went to a boarding school <laughs> and um, uh, discipline and uh, hard work and drive were the fundamental principles of that. Uh, that's what made me successful till this point. The second one is in leadership. Um, you know, I grew up and worked in a fantastic bank, ANZ, and got great opportunities to work with great leaders. And But a lot of the leadership is based on kind of traditionally a directive form of leadership where the leader needs to know all the, be smarter than the rest and, and know and provide good, clear directions. As I started this agile journey, I realized that I had to stop being a micromanager. That was the biggest, hardest piece, to trust people more and be less of a micromanager. Can, can just before that, like, what made you realize that? Like, what made you, in your mind, go, "Oh, mm. this is this yeah. is how I need to lead"? Yeah, um, I think I think starting this agile journey and uh, that sort of started a bit with Andy and with James pulling yeah. as we were working internally. And James has been an agile coach for a long time, yeah. and sort of I think as we did work and again the theory of the principles of the type of leadership that agile has, mm. which is kind of like a servant leadership model mm. uh, is, is quite different. Now, I get that from a personal values perspective, yeah. from my faith, you know, all those things, I got that very mm. much. Yeah. But still, it was like realizing that coming to work meant that you had to provide great direction and leadership and all of it. Mm. Uh, the penny dropped when it, as you started trying to really make an impact, uh, there was a great, there is a great Harvard Business Review article that says, why should someone be led by you, right? And which, which, which pretty much is the truth that, you know, the teams will only follow you if they're inspired and they make the choice to be led by you. And uh, I wouldn't like to work with a crazy micromanager as my boss, mm. you know. I've never worked well that way. So, so I think it's quite logical quite thing so as yeah. we started this kind of way of working it became it created the space to to do that more um the other inspiration of mine is patrick lencioni and uh, we talk about the five dysfunctions model you know the first one about trust and invulnerability and you know all those things that you can't really lead if you're not willing to be a good listener if you're not willing to think about your role as supporting the people you lead. So um, I'm not entirely at the end of that journey yet, you know, and, and you know, leadership in context means at certain times you've got to, got to be clear and you've got mm. to be, you know, assertive and forceful. But, but if that's the predominant way you work, I realize that mm. I, I wouldn't be as good a leader mm. to do that. Yeah. So, and how has some of the things that you've put in place at OUA helped you be that kind of a leader? Okay, I understand those. I need to be more trusting. I need to be a good listener. I need to be more of a servant leadership and, you know, help teams remove blockages rather than just tell them what to do. What what systems or practices or things have you put in place at OUA that have helped you play that role as a leader? Because I think it's helpful for people to understand it's not just that there are things that you can put in place, the mechanisms you can put in place to help you with that that shift? Yeah. Um, okay, I'll, I'll start with some hard sort of boundaries. Mm. Uh, whatever form of leadership you use, you've got to make sure that we're creating good, solid, sustainable results. Mm -hmm. um, 
you can have any form of leadership and people might be the happiest, most motivated. But if you're not getting results and the right results in the right way, then you'd question whether that's effective at all. So I think you've got to have one eye on those results and how we're doing. And at OUA, one of the practices we have is we have what we call mission control wall. And where across the business, we come together and we look at just three simple things that we measure daily. Um, did we get the number of new known prospects, people we could target, or you might call that leads? Did we get that volume? And that's an output of all the marketing efforts we do, all the kind of the indirect word of mouth brand or the more overt activities you do. Did we get that number? Did you then get the number of new students? It's the second thing we measure and the number of existing students we measure. So these are very simple things. Mm. If all the good work we do across teams, across the organization, don't result there consistently, you have we, some days where it looks red for weeks, mm -hmm. and that's okay. That's okay. As long as you know that and you're trying to respond to that. Right. So, so where, where, where do you see, where is that information? So that's in a place, very in a very accessible place in the organization. It's visible. And so the way we run that is with kind of a one-week sprint cadence. We plan activities across the business to achieve those results week on week, those targets. And we then see whoever has a stream of work or an activity where it's marketing, sales, could be technology, could be support. Different things come in and go out at different points in time. But then we plan that on a Friday morning for the following week. And that, that is done day by day. And uh, every day then in the week, Monday to Friday, we meet at 3.30 for 15 minutes and, and then review to see, we said we'd do something, did it happen? It's a simple kind of Kanban wall. Mm -hmm. Did it happen? Did it not happen? Was it blocked? And why? Mm -hmm. And again, the value of that is really the conversation. Mm -hmm. The value of that I've realized is not just a conversation around performance, but there's a conversation and a capability building of knowledge and awareness of our business and being and growing in that knowledge. Right? So that's developed yeah. for myself, mm -hmm. for those around. And, and so, and then every week on a Monday, we do a retro of the previous week. Okay. So we'll go back. I'd love to hear about the retro as well. So you talked about visualizing those important metrics. So who, who sees them? Does everyone in the contact center have visibility of those yeah. metrics? Yes. Okay. Everyone in the contact center and everyone across the business. Right. Cool. But, but in the contact center, we take it to a deeper level. Mm -hmm. And Arnie here, when you worked with us, came across and we try to build... So now we have seven blended teams. Each team has a team board mm -hmm. and each team has a consistent way in which they have specific KPIs. And we take it to the next level. So the teams now measure uh, four key buckets of work or KPIs that they have to deliver as a team. Mm. And that's again a breakdown of this, mm -hmm. but it's kind of closer of what they control. Yeah. These these impact the overall yeah. company ones. Mm -hmm. And and so we learned that even with kind of an agile kind of way of working, you need to be clear about what needs to be consistent. Mm. 
And when we did the pilot for the blended teams, the first time we put these eight, nine people together, um, and we gave them some support and gave them some internal agile coaching capability that we had at the time. James came and helped. They visualized something. Um, and they then did well. In their retro, they said to us, uh, create, we were going to take a, a, a quarter gap and create the whole blended model based on these learnings one quarter later. But one of the things that happened in that first retro of the first team, they said to us, it's a much bigger jump and a change than you are envisaging from mm. our lived experience. So don't wait to do a big bang three months later. And there were good reasons why we wanted to do it three months later because we have two quarters that are very busy and two quarters that are not as busy mm. based on what we see student volume. So that yeah. gives us space to put in change. But they said, no, no, no. In this busy quarter, create a second team because then a larger base of our staff mm -hmm. would have experienced this and then it'll be easier for the whole piece to move. Mm -hmm. So well, when they did that, what I want to bring out is we had a key learning. That second team was great. We chose another team leader and put a team together. And we, we, we had a little bit of a selection bias with the first team. We recognized that with the second team. And the selection bias was we had more higher performers in the first team. And the second team we realized is we'll, we'll run an, a, a, a piece of slightly lower performers so that we'll see whether it works for them as well. We created this team, put them together, and the second team uh, had a bit of a good but cocky attitude. And they said, we're not going to learn from the first team, we're going to create our own learnings. It was very, very painful for me and some of us to watch because they made a lot of mistakes that they needn't have made. But they went through it. And one of the things was they said, we'll visualize our wall entirely different. But we don't want to follow the first team. We find that whatever for whatever reason, not fit for purpose. But at the retro of the second team, they realized that that probably was the wrong decision. And they said now, for the whole contact center transformation, make sure there's a clear way for all seven teams to visualize their work and uh, the patterns of work with the rhythms as well of the stand-up. Each team now is a stand-up rhythm and retro every week, mm -hmm. right? So create some consistency there. And uh, again, coming back, we were trying to do this 12 months before and struggling because we were not kind of probably mature or ready enough to do that, Arnie, mm -hmm. when, when you came. I remember Arnie helping us do all the walls, but it was not being used. You know, mm -hmm. and they were like whiteboards or whiteboard elephants, you know, mm -hmm. in the room. But if you come now one year later and have a look, there's a consistency. They're doing that. The teams have learned how to do that better. And um, I'll just add this last, but yesterday mm -hmm. I was at the retro of the one of the teams that, you know, looked at the last 13 weeks since being on this journey. And uh, one of the, the team members said at the start, I sat there and thought this is a total waste of time. Mm. You know, uh, we have a wonderful internal coach, David Tran. Now David was working mm. with a team and, and he said, I thought this was a total waste of time. But yesterday he stood up and presented 
the outputs of their retro to us with such pride and saying, I just realized that somewhere along the journey, it made sense. Mm. 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 That's awesome. So the power of the retro. So I, that's a, a brilliant story about that that team that you, the second team you formed and the, the recommendations that came out of that retro from them. It's just so powerful, empowering people that are doing the work to have a voice and for that voice to be heard. And a, and a retro is a brilliant way to do that. So talk to us a little bit about, and maybe Arnie, I don't know if you've got any examples of great retros, but this is something that if people are listening that that you could retros are, are so simple yet so powerful you could literally do one tomorrow so for, for those probably not familiar with what a retro is yeah. as well um maybe talk a little bit about yeah. that so maybe talk well I'll, maybe i'll talk about Go on, honey. so i'll talk about G- what a give retro is a break then, for five minutes. Can, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i'm just listening i'm just taking um, in everything and i'm saying it's and great just, isn't and it and living it it's, yeah. it's quite it's quite incredible like to see the um the journey that it's been through um but for those uh, who aren't aware of what a retro is, uh, yeah. the term, the full term would be like a retrospective. Well, put simply, it's a continuous improvement tool um, where the team uh, gets to review or reflect on something that they've done or about their team. The, the subject matter can vary, but it's all about uh, reflection and looking at it, looking at what's good about it, what's not, or other questions about what's ahead perhaps, um, and then formulating some actions that you can take out of it so you're, you're improving. So this whole um, concept around feedback loops that you know Agile is really great about. Um, that's that's why it's such a key tool. Um, the other the other thing is it's about continuous improvement. So, you know, uh, sometimes we view continuous improvement as you know these massive big projects, but this is just about incremental tweaks to how you do things and continuously improving because it's continuous improvement. So mm-hmm. that's that's you know in short what a retro is but yeah why don't you talk a little bit about how you do it you know it's it's like what i noticed in open uni is that it's very embedded in the way you work and and that's one of the beauties behind it yeah you talked about how it can be very painful along this sort of journey but what you're what you're doing as well is you're learning as you go and and that's that's why it's so powerful so yeah i think two things i think as a means of communication speed is very very critical Mm -hmm. And the best way to get a feel for what's happening is to just talk about it. I think you've got to create the space and it takes time to get a foundation where people feel comfortable to speak. And and in reality, not everybody will speak mm-hmm. and that's okay. Mm-hmm. But you've got to watch out to make sure that nobody's voice is shut out. Mm-hmm. That's the piece. But say traditionally, I, I call it, uh, I struggled when the first time I heard the word retro and... Uh, you know, Eric at uh, uh, Open Universities was in the head of transformation, the head of technology. He's the guy who hired me there. He was an agile coach. And when you say retro, it just didn't make any sense to me in my brain. I didn't know what. I thought mm-hmm. this was just funky language. Yeah. And uh, Because I came from banking world where, you know, mm-hmm. you do performance reviews and you do formal, you know, risk reviews and you do all the things. So another word I'd just say is just a review. But it's much smarter. You can do it. You can do surveys, you can do 360 degrees, you can do all of these, and all of them have a place in things. But, you know, they all take time and they have an interpretation bias and you can't see people and, and so on. Mm-hmm. So if you, if, if, where we're heading towards now is in these retros as well, we're asking feedback about how did your team leader support you? 
And that's the key input I take when I look at how do I assess the performance of the team leaders. So when you do that, so is the team leader there? Team leader is there. Right, mm-hmm. so they're getting that feedback. Yes. Right there. And, and the team that's leader awesome. is listening to their team. Okay, the main thing is that if you're willing to do this, you've got to be really willing to listen. Mm. Uh, I personally struggle with that. I like to talk more than listen. You know? Perfect for a podcast. You know? <laughs> you're the best guest for this. <laughs> you know? but, but the reality is that you've got to check yourself and, and be willing to learn to grow. But if you actually listen to people, you can be so amazed at how you pick up things that were assumptions that you thought were working or not working. And the lived experience is something else. Mm. And so through that quick communication, you can realize where to focus the energy and what's really the, the, the lever you have to drive, you know, improvements and where, you know, to prioritize what's critical versus, you know, uh, urgent and unimportant, that kind of stuff. And uh, just conserve your energy. So I think retros are, uh, take time and, and we've, like you, you said, Ani, we've done it for a while. And so as you practice it more and more and more, it gets easier and better. And then what we want in every conversation is if something's going wrong, at the retro, at a simple level, let me just break it down. What we look at is three things. What worked, what didn't work, and what should we change? There are many formats. You can do different things, but this is the simplistic, simplest one that I enjoy using a lot as well. So what worked is an opportunity to call things out and celebrate them. Mm-hmm. You know, and we clap for people and we put people's names there and, and, and celebrate kind of things that we did. And uh, it's nice to see sometimes people bring personal stories. I got a new dog and the dog's mm-hmm. name is there on the mm-hmm. retro, but it's okay. That's mm-hmm. the team. Mm-hmm. Then we look at what didn't work and we really look at that as well to say, okay, and, but that's from a lens of saying what could be better because we will make some mistakes or we tried something and it failed and we come out there and if people get the confidence to talk more about that then we can do something about it Mm. if it's not talked about it's hidden it's the iceberg it's very very hard Mm -hmm. yeah and then what change what should we change we then look at okay so then how do we take something from this to put into our plan and tweak our plan so that we can try and avoid that next time, you know? Mm. So um, so I think just uh, uh, in this process, you need a skillful um, facilitator, an agile terminology here, Scrum Master, you know, you know, various terms, whatever that is, but you need someone who is objective, mm who is not kind of literally not involved in the conversation, standing a bit outside and managing the space and picking out that who's speaking, who's not speaking, who's, you know, what's happening? Is there something unsaid? Is there a mood mm-hmm. and tension? Mm-hmm. Some read people's faces. And um, I think that was extremely critical. Mm-hmm. And we were lucky to have uh, you, you folks help us in that journey. And, uh, uh, as well as develop internal capability now. Right. So with the seven blended teams now, there's a full-time role of an internal agile coach who just works, goes to team to team to wow. each of their pieces and constantly. And David now is, is amazing. Mm. And he started as an advisor. Oh. He, he could have been a 
very, very good team leader because he's naturally got the kind of style of leadership. But he's creating a path now, which is he wants to become an agile specialist and a coach, right? And so imagine having the view across seven teams that are doing, each team has the autonomy to sort of work out the smartest way to get the result in the best way possible with integrity to our values, right? But which means that, but each team is doing something slightly differently. They're trying different things. They're not everything's working and not working. But but David's got a view across that, and so uh, I, I just am really happy to to create roles like that and fund them because you'll create value and get the consistency rather than having David sort of be on the phones or you know chat uh, or lead a team because this is now helping build the capability across the teams. Brilliant. So just to finish off the retro, how do you make sure the things that people say we need to do differently get done? Okay, so it is a challenge. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think at two levels, you've got to look at this. You've got to be a bit practical. Because I think there's the value of the conversation itself as an outcome that is valuable. Mm-hmm. You know, and so just take that and, and trust people that when they hear different things, there's something going on in each one's minds. and. Yeah. Then they take that back into their respective teams and do something about it. And that itself is valuable, mm. which is a learning and the insight. But the second piece is if you don't take some specific action, then it can become worthless. Mm. So we we bring from the retro, which I call about mission control of what we should change, back into the plan and it goes into an inbox and we decide how to bring that back into the plan. So if it's something critical to do, we bring it back. Mm-hmm. Now, um, one of the concepts that uh, you folks in uh, Agile Contacts and Agile 11 talk about and in this Agile journey is uh, of failure demand. Right. So, which is that, is this, so with each individual blended team's retro, there's a question we ask them every week. What is one thing that held you back that you can't control as in your team. So it could be a system issue, it could be a process Mm. issue, but it's Mm. outside of your scope. Mm. And each team brings that and puts that on a a wall. And we look at that piece every week in planning and say, okay, how do we address that? And some of those are not easy fixes, and some of them are big systems changes, or some of them are going to be structural changes to change our KPIs maybe, or the way we do rostering is not working, and we've got to take some time to figure that out but what we do is that's an input that goes into the plan and we say okay then who can impact that who needs to do it and start doing some work around it and we translate that into specific activities assign a responsibility with ideally the person who can make that change taking mm-hmm. up that responsibility mm-hmm. but the team discusses it and then that goes into plan and right. so we don't lose the value of Brilliant. what could be done so there's the, um, an important point there about making sure that you're setting up the right systems so that each part of it integrates with the next. So you talked earlier about, so the teams all have their own stand-ups. They talk about those metrics that are the critical ones for the organization that are broken down to their level. They review those each day. They get to the opportunity to talk about whether they're, you know, what's worked or what hasn't uh, and what they might do differently that day. And then there's also a high-level planning. I'm guessing that's the leadership level on 
maybe you're running that in 90 day cycles or yeah. what sort of cyclical kind of we how often do you do you run that and are you you're planning every week we we've we've tried a few different things and 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 sort of we've had to look at it in a different way and we started the 90 day planning cycle and then realized there are other pieces in the system that were not able to contribute in a way yeah and and so it didn't so I think we have a gap today to figure out how we do that better. Mm-hmm. So at the moment, we put that into our weekly cycles. But if I take a step away, OUA has moved into an entire product kind of management kind of approach across all we do. Mm-hmm. So we have about six or seven product teams that are cross-functional with technology, BAs, testers, and business people involved there as well which are looking at different elements of the puzzle. Mm. And, and in, in the sort of contact center space, we've got a team that's called the ACE team or assisted contact, assisted conversion. Uh, just forgetting. E. What's E? E. Um, but enrollment, so enablement yeah, team. Right. Right. But, but, the, but the team basically has Salesforce capabilities, which yeah. we use. They have the, all the live person kind of skills our telephony capabilities and anything that we use that they have and their abilities, they work on a fortnightly sprint, but their projects could be three months, six months, mm-hmm. some some of them. So what it is is that we've got to work with these teams across these teams as well mm-hmm. uh, to get things happening. So I think there's an opportunity for us to think about how we might do that better. Yeah. Um, but at the moment, we are um, we're implementing a, a significant project that uh, is to replace our telephony systems, mm-hmm. um, and we have a slightly crazy and aggressive timeline <laughs> of from the time we decided that we want to do it. Um, we did some pre-thinking for a long time because the ACE team has been always thinking about options of what, but doing some groundwork. But from the time we decided to want to do it to the time we go live, the time frame is nine weeks. Mm-hmm. So we wrote our RFP out in four business days. We then did a vendor evaluation uh, getting the vendors, pre-screened vendors to give us an RFP and then did deep dive demos to validate what they were saying that the solution would do. Then we did test some of that uh, and, and see it in those demos. Then we did the legal and commercial kind of negotiation. All that was finished in four weeks. Wow. <laughs> and and we then, we are in, as we speak, we're two and a half weeks into a four-week implementation plan with a plan to go live in early December. Mm-hmm. What I'm saying is to do this, we've had to work across teams. So in some ways, looking at this kind of is a, requires a bit of a project mindset as well. But but the way we are working is the principles are very similar. So the ACE team, uh, the contact center team, there's an enablement team called our optimization team. Uh, and there's kind of telephony infrastructure people that we have, and the vendor are working together as one blended team. Hmm. The only reason we are able to develop requirements in four days, we're just documenting it. 
is because we've made mistakes over the years and the same people have been involved, they've been trusted. And finally, when you tell somebody, here's an opportunity to go and rebuild this in a smart way and use all the learnings and the pain and the frustration you have, as well as the capability and the smarts you have, and go and make it happen. Uh, I've been humbled and surprised to see how people have come together. Mm. So, and, and the other one is you don't try to achieve 100%, you know. So we got our requirements 80% right, put the RFP out, and we got it back while in that time we're continuing to refine what we want, mm-hmm. working ahead of the curve. And so the, the, the partner we have uh, is working with us now is basically telling us they've never seen or experienced how this working together. But I just want to roll back. When we were mm-hmm. doing the deep dive demos with the vendor, at the end of one day where you have a significant you know, investment of time and energy to look at, at components, we did a joint retro together. And I split the room up in half and asked the vendor to see what worked, what didn't work, and what they would like to change, what they need from us at one level. We did it at our end in the other side of the room, and we talked about it together. Because what, what, I, what I kind of realize is that unless everyone works together, the fastest you can move is the slowest link in the chain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that could be anywhere. Mm-hmm. And that's not a good or bad thing. That's not an assumption that people are blockers. But someone needs to have a view as to where those are and how else can you get it without, you know, Transparency, mm. which is what a retro is. Like. Yeah, yeah. So, so your the, the things that you've learned to re- about how to work with a more agile mindset, you've brought those into your approach to this telephony upgrade, and yes. that is a that is an extraordinary amount of time to do that. I I think in no matter how big, and you've yeah. got eighty odd yeah. people. So it's still complex. And what I'll just exactly. say to you is what I'll just say to you is that we've done it at speed. And at a scale uh, and quality better than anything we've mm. done. So, mm. so what it is is at speed you always potentially have a trade-off of quality. Yeah. But we've actually done this better than we have mm. done things before. Yeah. And what that comes in now is from the point of view of really having solid capability mm. in people, mm-hmm. then trusting them, the ways of working, and you're leveraging that. And then the rest is just knowing those risks and then the ability. We have a fantastic exec kind of team and leadership as mm-hmm. well that, that's able to be a step away, assess these risks and still challenge us, yeah. say we don't break yeah. anything yeah. And, and do it well. And, and the goal is that when we go live in a couple of weeks, the goal I've given the teams are is that the end users will have smiles on their face they don't face the brunt of a half-baked implementation, yeah. which we've done those in the past. We yeah. had to. And that they just feel like, wow, this was really smooth. What's the big deal about it? <laughs> and so below the surface, all the kind of hard work, the smarts, the effort, the team starting the, the training for testing and UAT today, this mm-hmm. morning. Mm-hmm. And the amount of effort, discretionary effort that the people on the team have put in is far beyond what I think we could have expected or imagined. Right. So, so that's the piece. 
how you try to do it at size and scale mm. and you're ready in time and all the kind of journey mm. and the pain and the learnings and mm. the mistakes help you to get there yeah. and it and it, and it, I just want to say it won't be perfect this time as well yeah. but, but it's it, going to be significantly <clears throat> better yeah. and help us create an asset that will help us deliver and make the job much easier yeah. than than before and it wouldn't be it wouldn't be perfect if you did it in a more traditional way either by you know gathering exhaustive you know documentation on requirements up front and you know going through stage gates or some of the, yeah. the other bureaucracy that that can exist in a more traditional way of delivering so but, but i think that that is a brilliant story on how bringing the the principles of, of agile to life you know valuing one thing over another but not completely dismissing it so you're valuing people working together on outcomes that are going to del- deliver value in short cycles so that you can learn and adapt and then keep moving forward at a faster pace than you would if you had these you know big chunks of let's get this together get it ready and then deliver it or you know having to hand off to another person in the chain like a procurement person or someone else and wait for them to review so i just think that's brilliant that that and it's a testament not just to your contact center, but obviously to OUA as, a, as an organization that everyone is able to come together and help yeah. to achieve that. I think that's the culture we are we are developing more and more of. Mm. Um, is like when, when we created this, it was also creating a panel of people who will evaluate this and have input at that stage itself. Mm. So the people who provided input into the requirements were on the panel. They were evaluating. Each had a voice. Each had a voice and a vote and was listened to wasn't easy and and so when you do that and then you know when you're working in that you're already thinking with an implementation mindset mm. and uh, and and it's been fun to watch that our teams started working far faster and far ahead of the piece than anyone could imagine or the vendor could imagine and that drove the vendor to try and work much faster mm. as well and try and see what they could do and how they would navigate and so building off each other's energy, you know, mm-hmm. in a way. And the reason why we created this timeline was not for fun because we have some business constraints because there's a time window, right? There's a time window because... Doesn't sound like a fun time yeah, timeline. <laughs> there's a time window because, you know, the first quarter of the year is the, bu- the busiest and most critical quarter for us from a point of view, new student acquisition. And you wouldn't take major risks at that time. Mm-hmm. So we spotted an opportunity. If you couldn't get it in stable and safe by this side of Christmas, yeah. then we'd defer it to next year. Yeah. So yeah. so one of the things I want to say is when we went ahead, we still had a goal on saying we will go live. But I was also, and, and with Andy, clear to think about we're not going live if the risks are too much. So we'll go at it as though we're going, but also keep a watch to say that the worst thing that can happen is we don't flick the switch. And that's that's an effort and an investment we're willing to mm-hmm. do, mm-hmm. but it's looking like we're going live. So Brilliant. Another week and a half to go. That's awesome. So there's yeah, that's a great a great example of how contact centers can work with delivery teams and the rest of the organization to achieve awesome outcomes. And it and it feels like to me you guys are driving that rather than the organization imposing that on you. So how cool is that that the contact center is actually saying we want to do this faster uh, for something like a telephony um, implementation? So that's a tough one, Sean, because I think in some ways the mindset is we've got to do it together. Yeah. And I think what I've learned personally in this journey is that there'll be there'll be questions that come up and you've got to embrace them. Uh, and uh, often they're from a lack of understanding mm-hmm. and often 
they help in improving the outcome to a better level from what you know a few people or one person can think about. But there are some tough pieces there as well that there are then sometimes people are not able to come on a journey or whatever, and you just have to learn how to manage mm. that. Uh, OUA is a, an incredibly open sort of culture, mm. uh, and uh, we, we're we not perfect, but we're getting better and better. Mm. And part of that third value of saying we value continuous improvement is the willingness and the permission to make mistakes. Mm. We're learning more about that. Yeah, It's not easy. Mm. Uh, I still struggle with it from coming from the bank kind of mindset where, you know, you sort of had to really test something and be really clear. And like you said, not that those create the results that are great anyway, but, but you know, you feel like you've got to really be, be clear. Mm. And, and uh, I, think, I think you can, um, you can get size and scale, but there are two things to balance constantly. And that's come out of a book I'll just introduce it and leave it with you because this has been a big influence in our journey of this as well. It's called Primed to Perform. Uh, and uh, it talks about, if you imagine a yin and yang, of a tactical and adaptive piece. So what they say is the tactical pieces, you need a solid plan. You know, And even in an agile way, the best possible smart, quick plan that you need. You need that. Need to be clear about that. That's kind of like the more traditional style of management. And then you need the adaptive piece. And the adaptive they define as the intentional divergence from the plan. Mm-hmm. You know? So if you're so stuck to the plan, you won't seize the opportunity and think. Now, if you do one thing too much, if you do entirely adaptive, then you're constantly winging it. You'll never get mm-hmm. value. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. And uh, and that's not good as well. So, so getting this balance is right. And what will happen in life, as, as kind of I'm learning, is that you will get the balance a little right. You'll move from one to another a little bit, and you've got to allow for that space. Yeah. And then you'll come back to the center. But that's the tension you need to manage. I think that's, that's beautiful. I yeah. think one of the things we talk about, which, which I think speaks to the same sort of thing, but probably in different languages, you know, in Agile, there's not necessarily just one plan, but there's a lot of planning. Yes. Right, and that's the whole. You, you need to plan, but there's a lot of planning and being be, um, able to be adaptive to it. Yeah, um, I'm really curious, um, and you know, we're, we're, I think we're close to time, but so I really want to finish on these last pieces. Um, so two two things that come to mind. You know, you, you talked about the some of the successes you've had already. You know how you were coming from, uh, you know, five years of loss, like not not hitting your targets or, or you know. Um, the results that you wanted for each quarter, and now you've turned that around. So that's one of the results you've had. But I'm really curious to hear what kind of results you've seen from the work, you know, working in this agile way. And you know, we talk about agile transformations. I I could probably say hand on heart, like for you guys, it really was an agile transformation. Mm. Um, and you're still going through that, obviously, which yeah. is yeah. which I think is part of a transformation yeah. is that yeah. you're able to keep yeah. um, learning and, and changing. But yeah, what what are some of the results? And and the second question around that is um, what, what, what are some of the key ingredients do you think um, that have led you to get to this point now? Can I, can I just, just to yeah. Yeah. confuse you with the third element to that question, <laughs> yes. but it's part of the first one. So in terms of the results, could you maybe talk to 
the um, the the changes that you made to the, the the measures of success for the teams. So specifically, the the behaviors you were seeing before around that individualistic stri- striving to to do the best for the individual over the organization. What are some of the results you're seeing now, or the change in behavior that you're seeing with people now, and the results that that's giving you? Because I think yeah. that's one thing with putting in shared KPIs, but but I'm really curious to understand what what does it actually mean for the way that people are starting to work, yeah. thinking about themselves and their their team yeah. in in their going for that 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 shared KPI, which is the you know the sales outcome that you guys have now. Yeah, I'll talk about two very important hardcore uh, metrics, which 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 all of us value, and uh, one will be attrition turnover rates and the other is uh, engagement mm-hmm. levels in whatever way you measure an engagement survey. So um, our turnover rates five years ago were like typical contact center 20 to 30 percent a year. Mm-hmm. So we'd keep hiring, keep losing people. You know, for a lot of people it's not just the career that they chose to do and it is a point in time in life. So it's okay and you can justify that it'll have high attrition. So we had 20-30% and our engagement survey results uh, were not flattering. So the organization itself was whatever it was, but the contact center within that was significantly low, right? Uh, I was not not excited or proud to be trying to lead a team like that, you know, and you're wondering what can change it. Um, Now our... uh, survey results engagement survey results are kind of kind of like higher than average of the company companies mm-hmm. yeah. all has moved high but higher than higher than that brilliant and uh, the second one is turnover is voluntary turnover is near zero uh, for the first time in five years we've not hired a single agent advisor this year and what we would do is we'd be hiring ahead for next year because it's the big quarter, mm-hmm. and uh, we haven't. That's wow! That's, <laughs> that's awesome. That's incredible. And and I'll say one more key thing, Sean, in this, which sometimes you realize that we've got to make courageous decisions as organizations. And OUA has been able to make a very very courageous decision. Five years ago, uh, our base salaries were the minimum we could pay to get away with beat award rates, meet award rates, and that kind of thing. We always complied. And we had a lower base salary and we had a higher variable salary. Mm. And thinking that that would motivate and would pay people for results. Sounds obvious. Mm. Um, Again, coming back to the prime to perform piece, they talk about three factors that help increase what they call total motivation and three factors that decrease. And the three factors that decrease, they say, are emotional pressure, which in other ways is nagging and micromanagement and telling people when they can go to the toilet, when they can come back, and that kind of thing. Contact center sort of technology helps us do that, and we can measure metrics for every second of what an advisor does or agent mm. does. So that's not helpful. But what's worse than that they call as economic pressure. This, this absolutely dropped the penny drop for me when I read this and could understand it. They say three things happen when you have KPIs and a bonus and high REM link to it. Money. The first thing is they call it the distraction effect. 
So if, if an agent is at a threshold level, if I sell a little more, I'll move to the next, next threshold of my bonus, and you're the customer there on the phone, what are they thinking about more? Mm. They're thinking about how do I get to the next level? They're not listening as well, and they want to close that sale, right? So they call that as a distraction. It's a distraction from the customer. Over time, they say it leads to a level which they call the cancellation effect. That even if it was a motivator for staff to achieve a high level of performance, over time, staff will not be so excited about that lever of performance. And uh, the third one, which is the worst, which is what they call Cobra effect. And this is a real kind of story. It happened when the time of the British in India mm-hmm. and... Uh, uh, there were some cobras, and and the British folks uh, establishment said put a bounty. If you bring a dead cobra, you'd get X number of whatever rupees or whatever it was. And uh, initially, a few cobras started coming in, and and they started giving uh, money out, and then the the population of cobras started going down. In some time, the number of cobras coming in was was huge, and they started paying out a lot of money. What do you think happened? <laughs> You've already told me the answer. This yes. Well, I'm, I'm, ge- I'm guessing they bred more cobras. <laughs> so so they, they create cobra farms. That's crazy. Uh, so, so you know, so, so what, while we laugh at it, I think what happens is that the systems we set will motivate certain motivations. Mm. And, yeah. and, and then if they're creating the wrong outcomes, and that's never good for the customer in the end. So when I saw this, so what we moved now is we've significantly raised our base salary that people can pay their rent properly, live a decent life, go out for dinner properly, and that's the base salary. And we've significantly reduced our variable, you know. And and what, when we launched the blended teams six months ago, I told the teams, it's going to be a challenge for individual super performers. Because in a team game now, we're going to look at one scoreboard, which is the team scoreboard and the company scoreboard. So what we've done is the way the KPI for the bonus is structured is 50% of the result that contributes to your bonus is from the team's performance. 50% is from the company as a whole. And so what happens now is if we... If it's right for a student to go and enroll themselves online, the advisor encourages them to do that. And they go ahead and they have some outcome in that as well. Right? So so we'll continue to evolve our systems to think of what creates the right kind of team outcome. But we've really got to be careful that anything in the system that pulls away from team is going to pull you backward in our model mm. now when we want mm. the blended teams to work out. And so we're constantly identifying those. We had a commission scheme and uh, we had to, in within the half year, cancel it and close it down because that was one thing that was pulling away in an individual level as well. And you know what's amazing? Most of our, we, we touch wood, haven't lost uh, one of our top performers yet. And uh, when people, it's time for people to go on to the next level, it's fine. You don't hold people back. But what it is is that people have enjoyed working without that negative pressure. And the biggest thing that, that I think I value is seeing the smiles on people's faces, right? Mm. 
because that translates into smiles on customers' faces. Mm -hmm. And then the results just come after that, yeah. which so, is amazing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So these are some results we're proud of, not just in terms of the piece. There's another very hard metric. We measure a, what we call a student happiness score. It's like a simplified NPS. It's a three-point rating. You rate a conversation with a student either on the phone or on, on messaging with a smiley face, a neutral face, or an unhappy face, and you have some text to provide about that conversation. Our, our scores are consistently above 85%. Yes, there's a percentage that does surveys. We want more to do surveys and far more to do it. And all these surveys have a bias. But, but I think have an 85% kind of NPS and, and on the phones it's 90, and, and it varies it's between 85 to 95, you know, mm -hmm. daily, consistently. Wow. And you can't achieve that without the agent and the advisor absolutely caring about that customer. Mm -hmm. And we're going to continue to do more and more and more. And... Um, I just want to quickly talk about this as well. We've created mm -hmm. some subject matter experts, and we call them trade leads. Uh -huh. And uh, we've created them across channels just now, and inbound, outbound, and messaging. And their role is to try and help the whole center improve its capability in how to say handling a messaging transaction. We've chosen them as advisors. So they have a day job, which is be on the phone, do what they're doing, and they have an additional job that we give them time to do in the day. This is not mm. you know, outside of office hours, but their role then is to play a role as an expert to try and understand and improve the capability. And uh, we've implemented that in the last three months. And, and, uh, and, and so people are just excited about trying to add more value uh, and enjoy themselves while doing that. Mm. And those are the three positive parameters in the book, Prime to Perform, which is, uh, you talked about purpose, but they rate this concept of what they call play even higher, which is basically saying, do you enjoy the work mm -hmm. that you do? Mm -hmm. If I'm making outbound calls, do I love talking to people? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, if that's what I love to, do I love to have make that customer happier? If I love that, then that's the best thing that's going to motivate me. Okay, so that's the first. They call that as a 6x multiple. The 3x multiple is what they call purpose. And that's a combination of an individual purpose, what drives me as an individual, and alignment to the company purpose. Mm. And you're right, you know, having the opportunity to transform people's lives is a great privilege and an mm. honor and a great purpose, mm. right? So that's purpose and that's 3x. And x is what they call potential which is that I may not like this role. I may or may not be super excited about the purpose, but it's, a, it's personally a great stepping stone for something in my life. Mm -hmm. And if I see it, then I'm willing to put in the effort to compensate for the fact that this may not be a long-term thing that I enjoy. Mm -hmm. And that's X, X3, X6, X. So you maximize these three and you minimize emotional pressure economic pressure and the worst thing which is minus 6x is what they call inertia which is i don't care i'm not happy but i'm i don't care it's too hard to move so i'll just be here mm. that's mm -hmm. terrible mm. and the only way we can get that is by just trying to tap into people and what 
they value. Um, I've uh, employed a reverse mentor uh, to help me understand uh, how the newer, younger people, millennials, work better. So, what's a, sorry, what's a reverse mentor? <laughs> reverse mentor is I've got a one a brilliant person in our team who you know is is in this millennial category, and I just said, okay, we'll have a coffee once a month, and I want to listen to what's important to you and how you think and. And why is it useful? And 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 so I listen to sort of try to learn, and it's it's fascinating because it's it's what the assumptions we make yeah. um, are crazy. So mm-hmm. so yesterday's session, uh, thanks, Liz. <laughs> I I learned that uh, that. People want to be listened to, which is a normal thing, but millennials feel that age, because they're younger, uh, we just discard their opinions. So if the same opinion was shared in a team by a slightly older person and a slightly younger person, the bias is that you might think that the older person is wiser or smarter or whatever it is. And it, it never struck me. And I said, okay, that's fair enough. And I'd say, okay, we've got to be able to recognize that and be careful. But what followed was even more valuable, which was saying that, okay, suppose I said something in the team and I got shut down, and I feel that's because I'm, I'm younger. Uh, next time, I feel like, okay, my value, my opinion doesn't count, so I don't speak up. And then... Over time, the team will observe me as saying that I'm disengaged and I'm, I'm not contributing to the team. And finally, it's like, you know, oh, this person doesn't care. Uh, and it's a cycle <laughs> that's happened with a very small bias that just didn't allow the person to speak in the first instance. Mm, fascinating. Well, that's a hell of a journey that you've been on. And I think that, that last example is another one of how you your mindset has changed along this agile journey that you've been on. You've, you're now actively seeking out opportunities for your assumptions to be yes. to be tested and changed. So I think that's that's brilliant. So we might wrap it up there. What do you think, Arnie? Is so. it a good place to, to finish up? I could just keep listening to this. Yeah, um, same. Super inspired by yep. all the things you've done. And I... I probably add like there's a lot of things that you've taken to the the next level yeah, like these places <laughs> that is just wow like, yeah. I mean, and that and that's yeah. the goal of what we do as well totally. at Connect Center. like we're not yep. we don't want to be there forever the idea is like we give you enough for you to then take it and go do mm. something with mm. it and transform lives you know yes. that's that's absolutely part of what you guys yeah. do and, and that's that's what i think is, is part of what makes it so great to yeah be able to you know, partner with organizations and, mm. and people like yourself. And yeah. So yeah. thank you so much for your time. We've hit thank 80 you. minutes. That's amazing. That. Wow. <laughs> I, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised, fast. but it's all gold. But Thanks, Anand. Thank, thank you, folks. Thanks for this opportunity. Thanks for being so generous for yes. your time today as well, mate. Good thank on right. you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to this episode. For more content like this, subscribe to this podcast on anywhere that you get your favorite podcasts. Your support helps us continue to create content like this. And for other resources and for more information, you can check out our website at www.theagileconnectcenter.com.au.